to enter your password, then press pound. You have 15 new voice messages. Huh. First voice message sent Monday, May 15th oh, at 6.21. Message skipped. Message skipped. Next message. <laughs> this one should be from Lars Fredrickson. Striker, why aren't you picking up? We have a Zoom in five minutes, bro. I've got coffee. I'm all copied up, fired up. i got my AirPods. I'm ready to go. So I guess I'll see you in a few minutes. Later. Your name is Striker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. All right, here we go. Another episode of Tuna on Toast brought to you by Hammer Toyota here in Southern California out there in Mission Hills. We've been partners for eight years now. If you are new to this podcast, they said, Striker, listen, we know we've been working with you on the radio for all these years. Whatever you're going to do next, we're going to stick with you. Is that unbelievable? I'm an independent host, an independent artist. They're a giant company, and they are the reason that this podcast is able to go. They're incredible people. They're not the stereotypical car place that you would go get a car at. They are Hammer Toyota. When you're thinking of buying a car, leasing a car, selling a car, check them out. First step is the website, H-A-M-E-R, HammerToyota.com. I absolutely love them. All right, let's get into today's episode. Lars Fredrickson, punk rock legend. Before we get to him, I want to uh, quickly mention the YouTube channel, which is Tuna on Toast with Striker. I was just looking at some of those numbers. There's been like 100,000 views in the last 28 days. <laughs> Thank you for watching every interview. Maybe you didn't know that not only is it an audio presentation, but a visual presentation as well. Then I was listening to uh, My Favorite Murder. My wife, who's been listening to uh, Karen and Georgia for years, had it on in the house. It was on in the kitchen. And I heard them talking about rating and reviewing their podcast still. These two incredibly talented women, women with the most successful podcasts in the history of podcasts still ask their listeners to rate and give a friendly review of My Favorite Murder and the other ones that they're involved with. So if they're going to do it, then I'm mother effing going to do it. I'm not going to be so shy. It really, really, really helps a lot. So when you have a moment, it'll take you two seconds. Give the good uh, rating and write a friendly review. Again, it really, really helps out. Okay, this particular episode of Tuna on Toast, it's a rare one that we didn't do in person. And the reason, Lars Fredrickson is in Northern California. I'm in Southern California. And when you get the word that Lars Fredrickson would like to come on Tune on Toast, you immediately, you stop what you're doing, because I'm about to, no, you stop, stop what you're doing. And you're like, okay, Lars, you got a good microphone? Yes, you do. Okay, I got good stuff here. It's going to sound just like we're in person. This message is for those of you who maybe only know Rancid just a little bit, or you know five songs from Rancid. The reason why you should listen to this entire interview, number one, it's a music education. Uh, his backstory and how he got to this place in life, the struggles he's had. It's not only an amazing story, but also inspiring at the same time. Just about every single person that we've had on this podcast, and also all bands and solo artists, artists in general, who have had any success, even if it's just like eight records sold, has gone through stuff, some S, 
and their childhood, which drove them to be the person that they are today. And Lars is no exception. Of course, you know his work in Rancid, also Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards, when he was 18 years old, and we get into this in the interview, so I don't want to give too much away. He was in a band called UK Subs, and the singer, again, Lars was 17 or 18 years old, guitarist, and the singer of that band, he was like 49 or 50 years old. Lars really is so well-spoken and so smart, and keep this in mind when you're listening. <laughs> I believe that Robert De Niro and Matt Damon are the best actors in the history of cinema when it comes to swearing in movies. It comes out of their mouths with the F word so naturally. When Joe Pesci curses, it's a combination of like, I'm smiling and it's powerful. Lars Fredrickson is a combination when he curses of Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, and Matt Damon. I love this dude, Lars. We had only met, we've crossed paths a couple times in life. And I mean, I, I feel like we bonded a lot over this uh, hour and uh, 10 minute hangout session. His new project is called To Victory, and it's available November 26th. There'll be six tracks, and this is just the first of a few EPs to come. And again, we'll get into all that during this podcast, but FYI, he does cover a Kiss song. Uh, so without any further ado, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Lars Fredrickson. Lars, Lars. Hey, buddy. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm trying to get my earbuds or earbuds or whatever the fuck they're called in my ears. <laughs> I hate these things, you know, fucking being forced to wear this shit. You know what I mean? Well, look at these giant headphones I'm wearing right now. That's way better. That's way, it's the, that's the classic look. Let me ask you this on your air. I always call them air buds because I think of that yes. old terrible movie. And then I know it's yeah. air pods. How much, uh, I have a lot of orange gook on mine. Do you have a lot of orange gook on yours from it being in your ear? Uh, you know what? I clean those fuckers out. Like I'll take a Q-tip and I'll just fucking, you know what I just realized? I'm almost out of battery. Let me go get my thing. Okay. My, my charger. Go, 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 sorry. go. Sorry, no, sorry, sorry. It's okay. It's fucked up, but I'm right. It won't there be you go. All right. Isn't that fucking glad you got it as an earworm, pal? Oh my God, do I love that. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, that's fine. Just as long as you don't show me with my glasses on. I want to keep some self-respect. <laughs> no, I'm just like, we all get older. I'm 50. You are? You don't look. Yeah. I thought you were like 46 or 47. Well, thank you. I will fucking blow you. <laughs> it's been a long few weeks. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's just get it where we can. You oh, know, my God. Uh-oh, there he goes. I, I'm, I'm a little late to the ball game. I've been doing, like, this high school shit for my oldest. So it's all about, like, you have to get, like, all these all this information. Because, being you know, living in San Francisco, high schools, you got to, like, turn in applications for. I haven't filled out an application since I was, like, fucking 16, you know, for a and job. What, do you, what was that job that you filled out an application for? Well, the first job I ever had was Togo's, which is like that sandwich shop. I love Togo's. You must yeah, hate so, it, though, because you work there. No, I fucking love it. I still love it. Um, but And then the last job I had was Tower Records in, in Emeryville. And it was right before we started making, like, Rancid right started making Let's Go. And I remember Matt and Tim showed up. Like, we need to talk to you. I'm like, oh, fuck. What did I do? We get in the van and they go, look, we need you to quit your job because there's no way that you're going to be able to do the job and make this record and 
so on and so forth. So how much that money? That's the let's you... go record for Rancid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they say, well, how much money do you think you need to live? And I was like, I don't know. Let me think about it. And they said, well, how about 500 bucks, which was way more than I thought, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, that'll work. And um, yes, yeah, so that was my very last job. Was at, Tower at Tower Records. And then um, Matt and Tim came to you and said, listen, we, we want you in this band. And if well, you no, want- we were, we, I was already in the band. It's just, we were about to make Let's Go. And a lot of that recording time was going to be during the day when I would have to work. Wow. Makes sense. So yes. they were like, well, you know, so this is 90, we had done the first tour. So it would have been early 94. Cause I came on, we came on from the first tour, which was September, October, 93. Cause I joined the band February, 93, maybe. But you were and, in UK subs before that, right? Yeah. So, but that was a, maybe a year or two before then. Cause I was 19 when I joined the subs and I was 21 when I joined Rancid. So it was a few years before, and that was a very short lived uh, experience, partially because I was uh, young, dumb, and full of violence, stupidity, you know, income, but right. as the old saying says, but like, you know, I kind of wore out my welcome very soon. I mean, those guys were, I mean, think about this, a 19 year old kid, the singer was my age at the time. He was your yeah. age right now at the time? And you're 19, fresh out of high school, as you just said, young, dumb, I didn't, violent. Well, I, w- I was out of high school. I was out of high school by the time I was 16. I left high school. I got my GED. And I stayed up all night on speed with my friend Sam. And I told my mom, it was, I remember it was on a Saturday. And she was like, uh, I said, mom, I need to be somewhere at 8 a.m. at this high school because we want to go to the mall. Because there was a mall next door to the high school where they're doing the G- GEDs. So we need to be there at like eight in the morning. She's like, why do you want to get there? I remember it was a battle to get her, right? To take us. Cause it was way across fucking town. Right. And we tried, we were going to, the original plan was to take the bus, but the buses weren't running that early on the Saturday. So we, there's no way we would have got, gotten there on time. Cause we would have had to take three buses. So finally got, I convinced her and Sam had been kicked out of his house. My mom used to take in all the strays. So it's like, if you were, disenfranchised youth my mom had a place on her floor for you you know she hated the fact she hated the fact that her sons were into punk and shit but any other other punker like social distortion came to my house my mom made them hamburgers like 1982 you know what i mean how did they end up how did social distortion end up at your house well i knew them you know because one of my first shows i had seen was at the san jose was that it was in at the san jose city college and it was social distortion the faction Living Abortions, Ribsy. It was one of the faction's very first shows. And I met Dennis, Danell. And uh, we stayed in touch. He gave me his phone number. I still remember his mom's phone number, which is funny because I ran into one of his friends. I said, is that his mom? I think his parents are maybe gone. I don't know. But this was some years ago anyway. It was a 714 number. And that's all I'll say. Right. But uh, how did that work out? So they are playing the Campbell. They were playing the American Legion Hall in Campbell. Okay. And... They got there around five o'clock and I, w- I was there and they said, well, we wanted a place to kick it or something like that. And I said, well, come over, you know, hang out. And so they came to the house and my mom's like, oh, your friends, where are they from? You know. <laughs> my mom used to live in Long Beach. She used to date a motorcycle cop. She ta- started talking about that. Right. My mom's had like five, well, God rest her soul, had like five boyfriends in her life, four of them named Bob. Whoa. 
How strange is that? Very strange. Bob, the motorcycle cop, was too stressed out, so she didn't want to marry him, so she hooked up with my alcoholic dad. Mm. Good choice, Ma. But anyways, I'm here as a result. But So she just started getting the frozen hamburgers out of the freezer and cooking up, you know, the boys, you know, Derek and uh, Brent and Dennis and Mike. And I think uh, Monk was the roadie or somebody like that at the time. And they were all hanging out in my living room, having frozen burgers while we were watching um, probably the news or something. And then we went to the show. They killed it and whatever. So I always, you know, I had that relationship with them. But like I said, my mom always took in the strays, like anybody that was like sort of you know, kicked out of their house of being punk or whatever it was, she took him in. It wasn't okay that her sons were into that shit, but it was okay for everybody else's sons. Cause she, I think she just saw good kids. And also I think her experience growing up in World War II and Nazi occupied Denmark and, and seeing atrocities in front of her face, like she had a different perspective on life. Like, and that's one of the things, like she never, she always, I think what she installed in us was this like, uh, social acceptance like she never had a problem with I didn't even know like I didn't even know like what the, the race thing was until later on in my team mm. it was never mm. that wasn't like a thing in my house it wasn't neither was sexuality or anything like that like it it wasn't until like I got out of Campbell and like came to the city or Oakland or someplace like that you know where I first kind of saw what that was Make sense? Right. Yeah, hundred percent makes sense. Because um, my my neighborhood was so mixed. You speak so highly of your mother, and I know mm-hmm. she passed, as you mentioned, and that's yeah. somewhat recent, right? Yeah, back in twenty twenty. Um, I'm October. so sorry. Oh, thanks. But you know, I mean, the thing about it was, and not to trivialize the pandemic at all, I'm so grateful for it for me because, like, a lot of things that happened to me personally. Uh, being there for her the last six months of her life, like I wouldn't have been there. I would have not known how bad it was been, how bad it was because the thing about it was is she had cancer twice and she was, she beat him, beat it both times. She got it the third time. She told me the pandemic hit. I was not living at home at the time. Me and my second wife were getting divorced. So I was kind of like floating around staying in hotels and, you know, on tour and stuff. And, my partner that I have now, I was staying with her at the time for a day or so. And I remember talking to her about, it. I was like, man, I got to go see my mom. It's like, it's been like three months. And when we finally, I was like, fuck the COVID thing. I don't give a shit anymore about this. So we drove down there <clears throat> and when we got into the house, I thought she was dead because I hadn't heard from her. I called the house three or four times and she didn't answer. That's not like her. Right. So I walked in the house and she was laying on the couch and it was a bad scene. And she hadn't eaten in like a week and she was sick because she did like this heavy round of chemo. It's like all over her body. So it totally zapped her. She had no energy. She couldn't move. I thought she was dead. I literally was like calling the doctors going, Hey, this is what the situation is. She, Oh, she might, she only has moments. Right. So I'm trying to like, now I've got to gather all this shit up. Right. Long story short, my mom's tough as fucking nails. Right. So we get her kind of back to kind of somewhat normal. And uh, basically I ended up moving back down to Campbell and living at her apartment for the six months. And through that whole process, like anytime that anybody ever really died in my life, it was always pretty immediate, like immediate. Like, so my brother was very immediate. Ben was very immediate. There were drug overdoses. They were shot and killed or stabbed and killed or 
you know, whatever it may be, you know, or had heart attacks or whatever it was, mostly overdoses and, and, and stuff like that. But it always it was very instantaneous. So it's never like you never were in the process of it. And this was the first time that I was in the process. And then, and then realizing that like, this is not actually happening to me. Like most people take death very personally. Oh, I lost. Oh, I lost. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Right. No, it's not, it's not the point. The point is, is that we're all going to meet that end, right? That death doesn't, for me, this was my experience. That death was not happening to me. It was happening to her. And I was experiencing that. And that was just something that I had to deal with. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I started making these realizations, it was a very big growing period for myself, you know, in this time. You know, I always had that idea that this doesn't happen to me. I mean, I've been through a lot of deaths and a lot of things, and a lot of loss, quote, quote, unquote, but this was like a big one. You know, my brother, like I said, was very immediate. Her, I was with her. So I was watching the process happen and the beautiful, the beautiful the ways nature works. And then obviously the yang of that is like, well, this person's not, doesn't have very much time here to enjoy, right? Because that's what we miss is we miss that time. We miss that presence. Was she but, happy that you were there over the six months staying with her? Could you feel I, her happiness for that? I think so. I mean, you know, I didn't want to play. see the thing about it is, is my mom and I, there obviously was, I remember, okay, so let me explain to my mom, my mom to you in a nutshell. My mom sat down with me one time at the dinner table. It was just me and her at that time. And my brother had passed away and she goes, I don't understand why you tour and you leave town and you do this stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You left Denmark when you didn't even speak English in 1960. And then you came here and then you went back home and then you came back over here and you learned how to speak English by watching fucking leave it to Beaver and Flipper. Like we have nothing in common here. Like we're not travelers. We're not adventurers. And she's like, oh, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Huh. Like that was kind of our relationship sometimes. Wow. It's like, I think we were, we were so much in common, but she, I feel like there was, you know, a control there. And, you know, when people lose control of relationships and like, if you think about that dynamic anyways, like my mom's experience growing up, when I hear people complain about their experience now and they're triggered or it's not safe, you know, Braxton can't, you know, whatever. It's like, I'm thinking, my mom grew up and survived a fucking world war, okay? And you're yeah. complaining, you're complaining about, you know, some fucking stupid bullshit. That's, that's your big example of um, conflict, you know? And so I can't, I come from this different place, you know what I mean? And I think my mom, as a result of having that experience, I think, and that loss, I think what when, with, when it came to me and my brother, she tried to control, because as a parent now, I understand greatly that you want your kids to go on a certain path so they don't die, right? Yeah, right. And then you don't want them to get hurt. But it's like, if you're getting in the middle of them and getting hurt, then you're, then you're cheating them out of that human fucking experience because you need pain, you need suffering, you need struggle in order to become a human fucking being. A hundred percent agree with everything you just said. Yeah. So like when you're trying, you know, when you're giving people participation trophies for just fucking showing up, that's not the real world. 
that doesn't happen to you at your job unless you're probably some fucking kook at a startup, right? Where they got beanbags and video games. I don't know. I don't know that world. I live in it, but you know, San Francisco is drastically different than it was, let's say, 25 years ago. It's nothing bad with that, but in my world and how I live, and you maybe call me old and outdated and whatever, maybe I'm jaded or mean or I'm a I'm a what do they call, you know, I'm a boomer or whatever, whatever doesn't matter my kids make fun of me all the time but and that's fine i'm used to it i've been made fun of my whole fucking life so bring it but my point is is that there's no safe places and how you were the gods and guns things like that song for me like because i wrote that song for my kids well, hold on let's slow down one second okay. here let's, Sorry, get every, let's get everyone let's get everyone caught up here okay as we are doing this today, it is before November 26th. And that is yes. when your six songs, Lars Fredrickson, to Victory, that is the project. The world will have every single song. You got a couple yes. covers on there from some yeah. of your previous projects, including a Kiss cover. God and Guns is a song. And I love this song. I don't, the second you got on, I was singing it to you. It's fucked up, but I'm right. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> it won't be all right. Tell me about this song, how it came to be and why it's on your uh, project to victory. I wrote the song in England. My, I was over there tattooing at my friend's Nick's, Nick's uh, shop at the time. It was called Skunk's Tattoo. And I was at his house and he left. He had an old uh, Gretsch, White Falcon or something like that. And he would always, when I would stay with him, he'd, he'd open up the case, leave it in my room because he knew I liked to just, yeah, we'd get inspired or whatever. So I remember I grabbed, we were going out to dinner and I remember I just grabbed it and I just had that idea because I started thinking, you know, and it was really because I got, you know, my kids started getting into the school and system and I started seeing the kind of different ideology because, you know, like I just said, I was a high school dropout, you know, and in, in the eighties, right? So it's like, and then I'm seeing like different kinds of, uh, uh, perspectives and you know and I, you see that that's the city starts to change and the type of people that are coming in have like and I felt like what I was witnessing was like people had this idea of like what San Francisco should be or what the Bay Area should be it's like well we got to dress in Patagonia some Lululemons <laughs> and then we got to be so woke <laughs> we got to be more woke than everybody and then we got to you know you know it's it just this mi mindset and then they come in here because it's got a long, rich history of arts and, and difference in people and stuff like that. But then they move here for the edge, but consequently they edge all the edge out, right? Okay. And then they got, then now you have a homogenized Wonder Bread fucking city full of people, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not a judgment. It's, well, yes, it is a fucking judgment, but it's also a, uh, an experience. So when I started kind of seeing, hearing all these things and, you know, hearing these different perspectives, I'm just like, where the fuck are you from? Like, you know, I mean, it sounds like it was almost like a script. Like I love professional wrestling, right? Yes. And when a wrestler cuts a promo, I can tell if it's scripted or if it's real. You okay. know what I mean? Yes. And yes. I kind of felt like a lot of these parents I was talking to, it was a script, you know, it just felt disingenuous to me, right? And I was like, well, wait a second. What you're, I understand that we got to keep these kids as innocent as possible for as long as we can. I get that, right? But I'm also not going to fucking lie to them. You know, I'll lie to them about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and shit like that. You know, the, the stuff that's not going to really hurt them. But if you think about us as parents and us as, 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 as a culture, we basically lie to our kids from day one. We tell them about make-believe and make them think it's real. Yes, it's fun, but we're still technically 
fucking lying to them, right? And and, and so I was I was also I was going through a weird fucking time in my life where I was like facing my mortality because I just had children, right? And then like I'm getting older, right? Yeah. And so I'm I'm there's much more things that are popping off in here, and I'm also making connections because I'm getting more spiritual, you know, with my spirituality and I'm drawing these conclusions and I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. I'm just saying, I'm starting making these connections. Like, why am I like this? Why do I think like this? Why, you know, why am I judgmental about this? Why am I trying to separate myself from these people? Why, 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 you know? And I started kind of getting answers and I was like, well, wait a second. What if I did the opposite? What if it, what if the, the legacy or the thing that I leave behind for them is the truth? Right. Right. Yes. What if I what if I do something different than let's per se my family did? Maybe I break that chain. Mm-hmm. So I started kind of writing the lyrics, and I was kind of like mothers tell your daughters, fathers tell your sons. Yes, that's how it starts you know? out at the beginning of the song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's uh, death won't be a stranger when it's kicking down your door. Right. It's like we've all had those experiences in our lives where we felt threatened. Right. And. You can't safeguard kids from that because they're going to experience it at some point in their life. And I think you're doing them a disservice. It's not like I said, go run in traffic or, you know, go pick a fight with that kid right there or go steal that kid's bike or whatever it is. I'm not saying I do shit like that. It's more or less like you got a problem with somebody, then you go and solve it. And I would prefer that you do it verbally, but you got to protect yourself at all costs. Mm-hmm. I remember Wolfgang when he was in third grade or no, excuse me, first grade, there was a third grader who was picking on him and picking on him and picking on him and picking on him. And Wolfgang got pushed down the steps by this kid, came up, clocked the kid, gave him a bloody nose. I get called, right? Your son was violent at the school. And I said, well, what happened? So I go down there and meet the thing. And I said, listen, this kid has been going at him and going at him, going at him for a few times. He told you about that. He told his PE coach, Mr. Chokas, Mr. Chokas was there. He said, yeah, no, that kid's been up Wolfgang's ass. That's the act, exact verbiage he used. Okay. And I said, how do you expect me not to tell my kid not to defend himself? He's already tried to go to you. So what you they did say. nothing. Yeah, you did nothing. No, I, it's not what they said. It's what I said. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him home for today because I guess that's the rules. But he's going to be here tomorrow. And sure. I hope this kid gets the same freaking punishment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which course. he did. And the next day I brought him to school. I said, I'm, he's not, you know, that idea is, it's like, and I feel like for Wolfgang, yeah, he got punished for that. Right. Cause the violence is, you know, something I don't want my kids to do. Right. Also, I had to applaud him for sticking up for himself and doing the right thing and going for the, through the channels. Right. He wasn't getting his solution that way. So he did what he had to do. And it's like, we're human beings. Right. So our DNA as men is to procreate and survive. That's like science. That's not like my, my facts or anything. That's just science. It's kind of the way everything is wired, right? Because we're all human, you know, human beings or even in, we're animals, basically. Yeah. We're animals. Yeah. So at some point, he's got to defend himself. He's got to survive. So how can I fault him for that? You know? No, you can't fault himself. him for that. He no. went, as you just said, he went, he did step A, step B, step C. Yeah. And step D was clocking the other person. He took him home. He went back to school the next day. So that's God, God in guns. Let's get to, I want to know why you covered the Kiss song. Why the, from, I think it was like from 74 or something like that, right? Coming home, the song Coming Home. Yeah, it's up um, hotter than hell. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, first music I ever heard, it's not a big secret was Kiss, you right. know? And yeah, when yeah, I, yeah. 
when we moved to Denmark, as when my mom and dad got divorced, my brother was sort of getting into Kiss at first. And my cousin, actually, that's funny that I'm mentioning this story because she showed us Slade and uh, Mabel was another, uh, was it like a Danish kind of glam band, T-Rex. Mm. So music, rock and roll music, that kind of boot, boot boy, stompy kind of shit. I think that's probably why I love what I love today, you know, and it was, it was early on. So getting exposed to Kiss and that song in particular, like I always loved the sentiment of that song and, but I never could truly relate to it. And I think, you know, being married and divorced to two different women in my life and realizing that like the level of intimacy that I had in those relationships was little to none, right? And it was because I wasn't really intimate and I don't mean like, you know, when we say the word intimacy, we think sex, right? But yeah. it's not just a, it, the word means other things. So the way I, way I view that word was like, I wasn't really intimate with, with here, you know, with really with me. I could be that way, you know, a lot closer to like some of my male friends or like my children, but I wasn't truly giving, uh, I didn't really know how to, to really be loved, you know, honestly, like, or to be cared for. I would always be doing the caring or the loving, right? And then I would secretly get resentful because you're not giving this back to me. I'm giving you some personal shit here, bro. So, and so therefore, uh, like for me, those relationships at some point became toxic, right? I reacquaint with this woman I've known for nine years. We're on the kind of the same kind of journey in life. She's 10 years younger than me. Is this and, your current partner right now then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've gone through a ton of S over the last, over your whole life, you said, but over the last two years from COVID, the last year, mom, a second divorce, raising kids. Yeah. You have a new partner now. Yeah. Okay. Keep, I just, I'm just trying to set the stage yeah, no, and get all, all this in my mind here. Okay. It's all good. So, and, and you know, she's on some, somewhat of a similar journey. And like I said, I really, you know, I've always been a spiritual person, you know, and this is getting to your answer. I promise you. It's just, there's a long way around to it. I've always been a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. I don't go to church. I don't, I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Protestant. I'm not a, a Muslim. I'm not a Jew, 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 Judeo Christian. I'm not Jewish. I'm not, I'm not any of that stuff. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I, I believe in, you know, like the earth has give us, gives us enough examples that there's something higher being. And if anything, the Norse mythology is more what I subscribe to. And that was because my mom and my mom, God bless her. But like when I asked her if she wanted like some sort of priest or anything, she looked at me and she go, when she was on her deathbed, she goes, no, I'm a heathen. And I was like, all right, right on sister. <laughs> but uh, so I've always kind of gone, gone against the grain when it came, but I've also felt like this connection. Right. So, um, and I think we all do as human beings. And, and I feel like we, but anyways, uh, so when I, as, and I, so she comes into my life, it's like a magnet. It works. And she's on the same kind of path as me. And we started kind of, as we were getting together, we were sort of started to do the work together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the relationship, I mean, she was coming into a relationship where she's 10 years younger than me. She's never, never had kids. And now she's got to do with, deal with, you know, all the testosterone. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, she moved in last June. So, you know, we were together for about two years before she we started to live together, really get to know each other. And we did a lot of work together, right? And when that song, uh, you know, was always one of my favorites by Kiss and it started to make real, real sense to me. And that woman, Joanna is her name. She's been there with me, holding my hand through a lot of this shit, right? And became a true partner. 
to me. And that song made sense finally. That song, I could really bring it in. And I was like, fuck, this is a great song. I love this. This is one of my favorite Kiss songs. I love Kiss, right? Who doesn't? And, you know, I was like, well, fuck, I wonder if Matt Friedman will play with me because it's got the cool bass line. And um, I said, well, if I can get Matt Friedman to play with me. So we did it at my solo show, the little show I did over at Eli's. Yeah. And it was so good. And I was like, we, let's, we got we to gotta record this. And we did. So the song on To Victory, the cover, Matt's on that then? Yeah. That's okay. Playing. All right. There's only four, four other or four musicians on that, including myself and Kevin Bavona, who also produced and engineered. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Matt Freeman and Dan Bohr, who was filled in for Kevin Bavona. Because Kevin's in the Interrupters. Of and course. He, he normally would play Hammond for, uh, for Rancid. And Dan Bohr came and did the tour with us. So Dan Bohr is actually playing uh, the piano on Gods and Goods. Got it. Hey, oh, did you feel any, uh, I don't know, competition with yourself or pressure within yourself? Because uh, for the most part, this is all you. To victory, this is Lars Fredrickson. It's not Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards. It's not right. Rancid. This is you. How does that make you feel like as a professional and just kind of how you tick, how you feel right now with this? Well, thanks for putting that fucking thought in my mind. I really <laughs> appreciate that. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> No, I'll just play it. Um, honestly, you know, kind of this is really legit where I'm at. Like, I, this is something that has always been suggested that I do, you know, and um, by many different people. Well, one person in particular, that was Dan Hodge. And Dan's known me for a long time. He was my guitar tech. He tour managed Lars Fredericks and the Bastards. Um, he now manages Rancid. So he was always kind of pushing me to do it. He was always be the one that would, you know, every three years he'd mention something. So we play Saturday, we, you know, we play Madison Square Garden and I'm thinking, okay, my bucket list is complete. Open Coliseum, Saturday Night Live, Madison Square Garden, yeah. I win, right? So now what else am I going to do? And I kind of had that, this is the same time that my mom and everything else is going down. And I was like, you know what? If I don't fucking do it now, when would I ever fucking do it? Right. And I'm just, right. I don't live, I'm, I'm not going to live life and like when I was talking about the separation, you know, the stories that I attached myself to as a kid and I tried to carry into adulthood, which don't work anymore now because they were all survival modes, right? As I started kind of shedding those things away from, my, from myself and I started to realize that how much more my, my world was opening. And it's not like, you know, some hippie epiphany or something. It's just what happens when you let go of that fucking wreckage. And if you let go of all that bullshit, and the story that you, oh, I can't do this because I'm this, or I can't be like that because they're like that. It's like, I'm done with that shit. I'm 50 years old. Let's say if I got 25 more years Hopefully. on this earth, yes. let's say, let's just say, I'm not going to live these last 25 years like I lived my first 50. I'm not going to keep myself confined into a place. I'm going to join whatever fucking band I want to. I'm going to make the music I fucking want to. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to. I'm going to take a vacation. Like, whoa. Like getting me to take a vacation that's like that's like unheard of. Mm. I've been on more vacations in the last like two years. <laughs> I've gone to like the fucking hot springs. Like hot springs? Are you fucking <laughs> Are you serious? But that's what that's the, but these things pay off when you got a girlfriend who's 10 years younger than you and knows how to take care of herself. Like I never knew how to do this. Yes. You know, so I'm learning every day and I'm and I'm that's amazing, dude. Great. Well, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to remain being teachable that makes sense yes it does okay so you're still open to learning you're not just setting your ways as a 50 year old dude right and i'm not you know i don't feel 50 i don't look 50 i don't feel nope. that you said it 
So, yeah. you know, so, and I'm just, I'm on this thing and where I just could, you know, I never really thought about like, when I went in to do these, to do this, what, what you're hearing or, you know, what you're going to hear it's, I went in there with a, like 30 other songs that I had written that on my voice memos, you know what I mean? Because I was going through a lot of shit and a lot of shit was being upheaved and, you know, I was being able to tap in because pain is the touchstone to a lot of creativity. Right. Yes. And I had these other songs that you will see in the forthcoming because there's going to be four total EPs. So, oh, was that right? Yeah. So there's a there's a whole thing that I have, right? And so I was like, well, why? I, I put down like the three or four most important. No, there was like five of of what I thought were the most important out of the thirty some odd songs that were the most fully realized that were completed. If anything else, there was like 10% on this guy or 10% on this guy. And I was just like, ah, I'll just concentrate on this. You know, I got the studio for a couple of days, Michael Rosen. So I just started going and I just had done that show. Everything had shut down. I was like, fuck it. What if I made a record that was kind of more like the experience of what I did at Eli? So then I started. So then I did like 16 songs total. I did a, a, a different Ramon song. I did some rancid stuff and whatever, but these six that you he are hearing are like, I thought the most uh, well-rounded out of all of them and the, and the ones that translated the most, right? Because I didn't want to go in there and strum my guitar because I've heard all those, you know, records and it's like, they're kind of laid back and I understand it and I get it, you know, and I, but I wanted to bring like that Billy Bragg thing because so, yeah, it's rough around the- totally. It's, it's rough around the edges. It's got a little grit. I'm a fucking punk rocker. You know, that's what I do. I don't just, you know, I'm not, I'm not Bob Dylan. You know what I mean? You know, I'm, I want to be, I want to spit, you know, because that's the way I feel confident. And if you hear Billy Bragg, that motherfucker spits. So I even did it to have and have not, which, you know, is in the live show or whatever. But I just thought, well, these six songs are, are kind of encapsulate you know, where I'm at. So it's like two songs from the old firm casuals, two songs from Lars Fredericks and the Bastards, a Kiss song, a UK sub song, and let's call it a wrap. And then now everything else that, that will be released in this kind of yes. environment, yeah. it's all going to be original songs. Oh, wow. So what so is the is the other uh, original on the project out now, Motherland? No, Motherland is an old firm casual song. Oh, okay. I wrote that for my mom when she first got the first cancer, right? It was breast cancer, but she beat it, which I knew she would. And so, but it was kind of like, because we started talking about the mortality stuff. We talked, talked about the death and she's like, no, Viking funeral. This is what I want. Just burn me and spread me over the, the ocean and, and all that, you know? So we had the talk, right? And uh, so I wrote that song for her. And then when, as she was passing, I was like, well, there's got, there's got to be a different version of it now because I know the song a lot better because, you know, we've been touring with the old firm casuals a lot. So I've been singing it more and yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar to the original, obviously without the drums, bass and, you know, boisterous background vocals and stuff like that. But I was just like, maybe it's, it's, it, this is the way it needs to be to send her off. That was kind of my thought, okay. you know? Yeah. So, and then I had Matt come in and play the baritone mandolin on it and wanted to kind of give it like a, cause that song, if anything encapsulates like my belief system in a weird way, 
and I think that the things that I'm doing with these EPs, it's like I'm 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 been on this incredible journey, right? And it's not that I'm finally figuring out what is you know valuable and what isn't. I've always known. It's it's how I'm living with it now that's shifted. That makes sense. It does. It makes uh, makes total sense. So it's a hundred percent guaranteed lock that you're going to go on tour and play these songs. You're going to be out doing that. Is it yeah, just going to be you on stage then, or are you going to have someone with you? Well, that's the thing. It's like I think that I have to start just me because yeah. I have to see what works. Right. Because there were songs that I did at the first show. Like I did, wasn't planning on doing Little Rude Girl, which was a bastard song. And then Gordy was there, who was the unknown bastard. And I was like, <laughs> and then somebody asked me, are you going to do this song? So by memory, I'm just trying to go, oh, how does this one go? And then Gordy was there and I was like, okay, you get up with me right now and jam with me. It, it was like, it's spontaneous. So there was no plan of that. That worked, right? But maybe ignorant ones that I did with the old from casuals and I stripped it down, that didn't work because... Not a lot of people were familiar with that. Maybe I could have done another rancid song. Maybe I could have taken one away. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing for me, I think, is like, okay, because there is a lot of, there's some percussion and I feel like the, the Hammond D3 and the piano really make those songs breathe. Now, I don't know how, because I, I don't, it's not like I'm going out with a, uh, uh, some, some big money backing and a tour production agent, whatever. Yeah. It's going to be me stripped down. So I'm going to do the best I can. You know, the evening with Lars Fredrickson is kind of what we're calling it. And basically I'm going to, you know, it's going to be like storytelling. That's story, a story. awesome. Love that. I, that's a great way to do it, man. You know, just bring people in, yeah. play smaller places. Yeah. Do a little bit more of an intimate kind of thing, you know, and it's, it's not like you're going to, you know, no opening bands. It's just me. And maybe we'll have, a comedian or a DJ, you never know, you know, just someone that maybe comes and does 30 minutes just to kind of oh. have fun. Oh, that's Cause great, I know, man. I know a few of both. So uh, you mentioned earlier that some of uh, you've accomplished, like some of the hugest goals ever you played uh, Madison square garden. I think you said Oakland Coliseum and Saturday yeah. night live, but were those thoughts in your mind it, back in 1991 or 92 that you were going to accomplish those things? No way, dude. No okay. way. I remember me and Tim sitting down eating Chinese food at the Chinese food spot around his house. And I remember thinking, you know, paying $5 for this meal was, was fucking a lot of money. Right. I remember we were talking about, we thought, man, if we could only be as big as bad religion, if we can be as big as bad religion, then we're good. Like if we can be there, then we'll, it will just be great. Like we never really talked about like those types of things. I think maybe we secretly all kind of dreamt. We all wanted to do Saturday Night Live because, you know, the specials and fear and Elvis Costello, you know, the, you know, very cool fucking performances on that show. Right. And the Oakland Coliseum, that was our backyard, you know, right. and now we've, we've done it. We did it twice, which is great. So we, I think once with Rise Against and then the other time with the Misfits, but you know, that was our backyard. I mean, that's where we would go watch the Warriors play or, you know, where we saw ACDC or, you know, any of those bands. I mean, Oakland Coliseum where the Oakland Raiders play or the Oakland A's where Raiders A's were Bay Area guys, you know? So that playing that place was like, you know, almost like felt like the key to the cities, city, you know? Yeah, yeah. So because that's our stomping grounds, you know, that's where we, where we really legit come from. And we spent 
considerable amount of time as patrons there watching our favorite sports teams or whatever it may be, you know? So it's like, it comes full circle. I think that one was a little bit, you know, the, the thing with Madison Square Garden for me was because of the, the match between Superfly and Don Morocco. I remember seeing that on TV and just wanting to go, yeah. go into that building. And it's just like to play that. I'd never been in that building ever in my life. That was the first time I ever went in and we're playing it. And it's just the gravity of that, you know, the gravity of that. You That's know? awesome. Um, so you joined uh, Rancid. They had one record out and Rancid was already with Epitaph. And you just yeah. mentioned Bad Religion a second ago. If we can be as big as Bad Religion. What has Brett Gerwitz meant to you personally and professionally over all these years? Well, you know, one thing for sure, Brett's like our dad and he's like a father figure to me, you know, yeah. and I love him so much, you know, he always includes us. He always brings us in. He makes us feel like family. He invites us over for dinner and we go, you know, he's been there from the get go. He's believed in us like nobody ever has. He supported us like, you know, he's been good dad and bad dad. You know, he's. What do you mean bad dad? You mean telling you how it is or doing something or like say, guys, this is not the way to go. That sort of thing. Well, I would say that maybe bad dad was the bad thing or not a great example. I'm just saying he's, he's been a great father because he's disciplined us when we needed it. How about that? That's good. Gotcha. And I don't think there's anybody else in the world that can tell us how to do our thing. And, and, um, we, there's just a tremendous amount of respect for him. And it's because of the way that he's treated us along the way. It's how he's kept us together, how he makes us better human beings and pushes us to make better music and pushes our abilities to the next level. No one can get a vocal take out of me like Brett Gerwitz, out of Tim, out of Matt. No one can get a take out of Rancid like Brett Gerwitz. Brett Gerwitz just his name being mentioned and involved brings a whole different way we need to bring it. Wow. Wow. So it's, and on the personal side, because that's just the, you know, the business side or whatever you might want to call it. Maybe business is not the right way. The personal side, this is what I remember. Um, There was some lean times for all of us. And especially at the beginning, and Brett gave me 500 bucks because I was going to lose my place to live. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask him for it. He found out about it and he was the first one to call. He was one of the first ones to call when my brother died. He's one of the first ones to call when my mom died, you know? So like, what do you need? Anything you need, just tell me. And I know that. I know that if I said, Brett, I need uh, uh a Lamborghini, a pot of uh, Jello, and um, some some gummy bears. We'd be like, okay, it's coming. You know, like I can say that shit. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, but so and and I remember when he loaned me that money. Like I did, never took that for granted. And I remember when I went to go pay him back, he didn't even know what I was fucking was talking about. Wow. And that's wow. the way I am with it. So my kids, I got to be a lot better about it, to be honest. But like. That's the way I am with my kids. They can have anything of mine within reason, right? And I'm going to help them. He just made me feel like he was a, he was he cared and and held me in a way. And I think we can we would all have that story. He holds us in a way that no one ever really did. You know, even our own parents to a certain degree. But maybe that's the reason why he was able to do that, and we allowed him to do that. It's because he wasn't this authority figure. He was. 
He was somebody that we looked up to and respected, but he, he treated us like his peers. Wow. You know what I mean? Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. Thanks for sharing everything that you've shared so far. When you got three guys in a band that all are capable and do sing the songs and lead in some of the songs, was that something that was planned out when you joined the band? All right, Lars, you're going to sing this. You wrote this, Tim. I write like, how did you, and the hell did you guys figure that out? Well, you know, it's funny because I sang the band that I quit. So the band that I was playing in played with Rancid once. And that's when me and Tim first met. So, and I was the lead singer and played guitar. So when I joined the band, I think, you know, Tim, because Tim and Matt were both singing, right? They would trade back and forth. And I feel like Tim, you know, has always been a great captain, right? Like he knows, he sees a thing and we go, you know? And that's what I love about him. His forward thinking is, he sees things, you know? And I so admire and respect him and love him on many other reasons, but I, I got, you know, got to give him credit right there. And I, he, for whatever reason, and that's one of the reasons why I'm the first one that you hear on Let's Go, Welcome to the Union District, Drive Down on Sean Palms. He's like, because I want to put you out there. You're new. You're the, 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 the thing. Because I've done, you know, Radio, Radio, Radio 7 inch with them in 93 or whatever. And then now it was like, okay, well, we've already done that. And so he put me out there and said, you know, it's kind of like sink or swim. Yeah. But, and as it just sort of evolved, evolved, and we started playing off each other. And now we just kind of like, what, what we really do, honestly, is because like, the, for instance, this latest record that we, we, we recorded, like we sit around and we all know each other so well, we write songs pretty quickly. You know, we kind of get the idea or whatever, and it comes out. And it's always like the best man for the job almost Mm. it's not it's not like a competition it's like it's not about you know any of that it's about who do you feel would be best represented on this song to put this song over you know like how do we get it to that next level and sometimes i'm called to duty sometimes tim is called to duty sometimes matt is called to duty so it's never really an argument or a um much of a discussion it's like it's almost like we just try everything hey what do you think of Freeman's saying right here, yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. Or what do you think of Lars? Okay, let me go try it. And then Damn, that's, that's how it awesome, man. Oh, it's so cool to hear that story. I'm so fired up right now, Lars. That's cool. Hey, that's do you cool. remember hearing um, any of your songs on the radio for the first time? And did it matter to you? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, I'm drinking coffee out of my Thor glass. <laughs> We're almost done, I promise. We've been going a lot. Holy shit, we've been going like 45 minutes. No, don't worry about it. You can okay. keep me as long as you need me. Okay. Um, I really got nothing going on. So <laughs> I really don't. Like I'm doing laundry, bro. Okay. Like I'm doing laundry <laughs> and I'm going to sweep up the house. So okay. you're keeping me from my rock star duties right okay. now. Okay. All right. All right. So I want to say it was probably salvation. And um, I think, I don't remember exactly where we were, but I feel like it was on the East Coast. But the times that I do remember, like I remember being at um, Yankee Stadium in like 95 or 96, and I think the Yankees were doing really well. There was in the playoffs, and I'd never gone to Yankee Stadium, and Toby Morris from H2O, and mm-hmm. I, he took me. And I remember we're sitting back in our seats, and we're listening, and, I'm, and you know, it's like around the sixth or seventh there, and I hear this, 
song and it's eerily, eerily familiar. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? I'm like, why, why do I know this song? And I'm not placing it, right? And because there's hot dogs right. jumping up on the, <laughs> on the screen. And I'm just like, ah, you know, what is this song? And then all of a sudden I hear, good morning, heartache. You're like an old friend. I'm like, oh my God, we're a fucking hot dog commercial at Yankee <laughs> Stadium. Like those are the things that you remember, you know, not so much the the radio thing. Like yeah. I remember, I remember Oedipus from from Boston. Boston. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the first ones to play us and then D- Detroit. And then I remember when like Salvation, like when you knew that the song was making some you know noise, right? And we were playing in Madison, Wisconsin. And I remember it on two reasons because. Um, my buddy Derek was there with his dad and his dad was a, a Marine drill sergeant in uh, Vietnam and he was from, they're both from, they're from Guam and uh, he would, uh, uh, Tom is his name and I call him Pops because he's like my, he's like that dad, you know, he, he kind of stepped into that role in a lot of ways for me and really showed me how to be, res- he taught me respect and common courtesy, you know. And uh, uh, I remember we were playing our shit. You know, you got a circle pit in the thing, and it's like you can tell the punkers. And I remember there was like it was like in a, like a it was I think it was at the college or something. And then there was like um, a row of bleachers that were like not completely down, but there was a few down. And then there was like a top row. I remember seeing this chick and very long brown hair nice jacket very beautiful you know and we go into salvation and this chick goes off right she's just like i want your stopping i'm like what the fuck just happened and then after we're done with the song she goes oh cross the ropes <laughs> it's just watching us but like she came for that one song you know yeah. what I mean? or whatever she was right. making the connection but that's when i knew that things were starting to kind of change because you know, it wasn't just punk rockers and skinheads and hardcore kids anymore. It was like, you know, more what we call like kind of the Herberts, you know, they were like, they were into kind of punk music, but didn't really look like it. There was, you know, cause you always had a, a certain level of the surfers, the skaters, right. the punkers, yes. the skins, you know, these guys that would be in our culture, you know, normally you always have that, right. It's across the board, even to this day. But then you got kind of the more like the normal kind of average music fan who might buy records or might just like songs, you know, like my kids absorb music way differently than I do. Like my 10 year old loves gangster rap and the baby and, you know, was it something red or something? I don't know, whatever. It's fucking hardcore shit, but like it is what it is. And then my, my, my partner's Beyonce, that's her jam. Like she loves Beyonce and, than my oldest like metal and punk. So my point is, is that like how they consume music and how they listen to music, it, you know, whether it be casually or in, intensely, like they find their thing, right? And they gravitate to it. And that's the most important thing, right? Cause you want them to be exposed to different kinds of flavors, you know I mean? Like I was, like I loved skinhead reggae and I loved hip hop and I loved punk rock and I loved 
you know, the OI shit. And I loved Kiss and ACDC and Motorhead. And I loved Thrash, like Exodus and Testament, Death Angel, and, you know, List as Slayer and, and Creator and whatever. And then I loved the 70s shit, like Slade and T-Rex and uh, Mott the Hoople and shit like that. I hated fucking Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer. I don't like the fucking Grateful Dead. Fuck jazz music. I fucking hate that genre. It has, I don't get it whatever you can tell me how great they were they're all a bunch of junkies whatever doesn't matter doesn't matter doesn't hold any but you know so i like that street music i like aretha franklin i like sam and dave i like you know some of that soul shit i like you know i like i like something smoky robinson anything that's going to give me that you know what yeah, i mean that's what yeah. i go for right so it could be run dmc or uh ice cube or it could be aretha franklin and um you know, Johnny Cash or, you know, George Jones or GBH, Discharge and um, uh, what, you know, the kid I do love, the rapper kid. Oh, shit. He's passed away. Uh -oh. I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to get this, Lars. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. What's his fucking name? He, 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 he ate a bunch of drugs when they were landing because he thought the cops are coming. Oh, Oh, right. That happened within the last year and a half or so. Something right? like that. Yeah. Okay. It's talented motherfucking kid. I can't believe I'm spacing his name because I actually legit like him. And he's because he's got melody and he, he's a great, and I mean, God, it's 21 years old. Hmm. Fucking A. Come on. You know, such, such a sad thing. But because none of my heroes were Johnny Thunders or Sid Vicious. And I was like, that. Right. But um, I do love thunders, but whatever. But my point is, it's like, I, you know, I'm not really into, you know, anyways. So I think once you connect to, to something, I, for me, it's the street shit, you know. I'm uh, going to get you out of here. Just a couple more things. Here. Okay. Was it, was it, because I, I wasn't in your inner circle, not even close, but it, it, was it real that there were some people that were huge fans of Rancid, gave you guys shit because you were getting popular and maybe you were going to go to a big label was that real and if it was did you guys care about that that outside noise no i mean but that's the thing it's like you know i i can only imagine if there was like a facebook back then fuck <laughs> fuck <laughs> i mean the way people talk to each other on the internet is like fucking ridiculous yeah. because in my day mm -mm. so but that's safe for them it's behind, there's a filter there. Of course, there's an, of course. you know, yeah. But you know, there was people that had problems with what we were doing, and that was totally fine. It was like they were entitled to their own opinions. They weren't entitled to their own fucking facts. So here's the deal: we were working class kids, you know what I mean? And we came from places that, you know, whether they be broken homes or dysfunction or whatever it may be. And we here we did we found each other and we and when we started and we started having this chemistry, and then we started writing these songs and these songs started getting attention. It's like, do you think in in, in any have you ever heard a songwriter apologizing for writing a good song? No, of course not. Like, no. I'm really sorry that Ruby Soho came out. I'm really really sorry. Like I apologize to the world. Don't cancel me. You know. So it's like. We were just doing what we were doing. You know, it, there was not, we were coming from the heart. We were shooting from the hip. You know, we were wearing our hearts on our sleeves. People had a problem maybe with the authentic, authentic, authenticity of that. 
And I think people, and most of the people that I think that were throwing those stones mm -hmm. were those that were living in glass houses who didn't, who had mom and dad's money to fall back on, who had the college education to fall back on. You know, these are the types of people that are just jealous. And it's like, it's, that's kind of the way our culture is kind of lined up though. It's kind of like, I got to get mine and I got to get mine any way I can. It's like, well, no, actually you can do it and you can get yours. Sure. But you don't have to do it in these ways that you think that you have to by taking somebody down. And that this goes back to my separation thing. It's like, if you look at society and if you look at these things, it's all about this separation, separation by race, by religion, by class, by gender, by all these things. Everybody wants to be separated by something, to feel something, to validate themselves, right? And it's like, at some point in your life, like, like for myself, and I'm only talking from my experience and just my view, and it's not right or it's not wrong. I'm not trying to push my views down anybody's throats, but like, and this is going to answer your question. It's like, when you're trying to separate yourself from somebody, and I think at points it is good to kind of claim your own. And, and I think that's positive because I think there's power there. Okay. But like, we're all having a human experience, right? We're all having a different experience. We're not all having the same thing, right? I don't really look as, at my accomplish, uh, accomplishments or what I've done in my life as accomplishments because nobody learns ever, no one's ever really learned in my, in my opinion, anything from winning. You're always going to be losing. You're always going to be learning these things, these lessons by falling on your face, tripping, right. stumbling. Right. So some people have more of that in their lives than others, right? No one's experience is better or worse than anybody else's. And I don't believe in coddling. So we weren't coddling ourselves or trying to coddle somebody else to make them happy. We weren't people pleasing. We weren't trying to appease people. We were doing what, what was natural to us. We were four of us and what we felt at the time, right or wrong, was against the world. We had an attitude that we were just going to do this and we were going to do it as clean and as authentic as we possibly could. I don't even think that was ever verbalized. I just think it was what we were doing. You know, I don't think we were conscious of anything. We weren't making decisions to make our band bigger. The band got bigger and grew because we were working. Right. You know, right. it wasn't anything right. else. It wasn't really, and we were doing good shows. We were, you know. The product was great and nothing was just handed to you. Like, hey, you guys, we're selecting you to get this huge career. No, it started like in this little small thing and it built year by year by year. And you put like what, 15, 20 songs on every freaking album, man, which was <laughs> well, but, look, unbelievable. Well, I think there was also, you know, you have to remember that Jawbreaker would historically say, we're never going to sign to a major label. And then they signed to a major label, right? Yeah, so yeah. You, you had a lot of bands in those, in that, of that ilk that were, it's kind of like the people who moved to San Francisco and think they have to have this ideology or whatever. We fortunately stayed independent throughout our whole career. I can't say that for a lot of our fellows, it, but it doesn't matter. It's not like I can judge them for that because they made the right move for their, for their situation at of that course, time. Of course, for sure. Yeah. And I'm not going to begrudge a man for doing what he feels and following his heart, no matter if it is for all the wrong reasons, he might think that's all the right reasons, but that's part of his learning experience. Right? So who the fuck am I to get into the middle of that or pass judgment on somebody? It's like me going down to a, to a cement factory and saying, why are you building cement? What the fuck is wrong with you? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just was doing it in my way. They were doing it in their way. I was following my heart with the support of the other three guys in my band who were doing the same thing, 
We all had a commonality. We all had a place that we were coming from and we were following that. And, you know, with all of that success, with all of the, the failure that in those, in those years, we learned a lot of lessons. Most importantly, what we did, and we're kind of like the Quakers in this way, we just said, fuck you. We don't give a fuck. You can think and say whatever you want to say about us. We're going to do what's right for us. You know what I mean? And I love that about like, you know, rancid. And I think that's probably why we are where we are right now is because we never really catered to anybody's, um, we've never placated, we've never appeased anybody. We've just, we've done what we thought was right for ourselves. And now that, you know, two of us have children and the other guys who don't have children look at, at our children as their children, we're even more of a solid cohesive unit, you know, because we're a yeah. bigger family, right? Yeah. So, and we also have the same values and the same moral compasses. And it's all about that. It's, you know, we're loyal to a fault. We love fucking hard. Um, and we respect, you know, we try to give back when we can. And, you know, that was it like, it was, it was so long ago, 25 years ago, and you still get the occasional shit talker. And it's just is what it is. I don't pay, really pay much attention to Good. it. To be honest, I don't have the time for it. Like I got five bands. I'm a dad and I got a, you know, a, 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 a girlfriend who, who, who is my partner. And it's not that she demands a lot of attention, but that's where that attention goes. Because yeah, I want a great long lasting relationship. If you're not giving the person attention, even if they're not like seeking it, as you said, that it's probably going to go a little bit sideways. So you got to make sure you give the proper time for whoever you're with. Okay. And, last. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just want to sum this up. Rancid mm-hmm. never drank from each other's cups. We filled each other's cups. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, okay. Give me the three greatest wrestlers of all time. And oh, then give five. me hold. Okay. Five then five. And then. Give me two that I should watch next time I watch wrestling. Cause I know wrestling, but on a scale of one to 10, I'm like a five and a half in terms of my knowledge. Okay. Well, you got to give kudos rather than, you know, but you have to take the personal lives or anything out of the picture. You just got to look at them as performers, right? Okay. You got to have the nature boy, Ric Flair up there. Gotcha. Got to have dusty roads. You got to have the undertaker. Uh, see, the thing about it is, is sometimes I love tag teams. So, okay. So I'm going to give you three singles wrestlers and two tag teams, rock and roll express or road warriors. Okay. If you, if you stuck with those five, you'll be thoroughly entertained. Two guys that I think, or women that I think that you obviously would, should watch Ruby Soho, obviously. Yes. Ruby Soho. Yes. <laughs> and it's not just because of the song and it's not because we're a small part to her big thing. Yeah. But she's a talent. She's a fucking talent. And uh, I love deathmatch wrestling. So I would go with, um, and if you, de- deathmatch wrestling is extremely violent. And I don't know how you are. If you like horror movies, you'll like deathmatch wrestling. Um, but there's so many great ones. And, but the guy that's the most legendary, I would say, is a guy by the name of Nick Gage. Okay. okay. All right. And if you can see one of his matches or Schlack, I think one of the, those two guys, I mean, there's so many good ones. Bam Sullivan. Um, it's very hard. Effie's another one. And Effie's great. He's breaking down walls. You know what I mean? I love him. 
because you now with wrestling you have there's so many different you have transgender wrestlers you have openly gay wrestlers you have women wrestlers you have um you know intergender wrestling matches you have women doing death matches it's like it's it's the the playing field is so wide open it's like wrestling is what society is it, it feels like it like uh the west coast you know what our ideology the majority well not the majority just maybe the bigger cities how we feel about difference and openness and stuff and liberalism yeah you know i feel like that's happening in wrestling now which is a beautiful thing where people can express themselves so watching this all unfold knowing what it used to be like and seeing how maybe kind of like these these older kind of these characters now would have been played out maybe back in the eighties and it wouldn't have been a fond, um, mm. you know, so, cause they don't, didn't use women the way that they should have. Right. You know, well, there was glow, were, right. What was that? The gorgeous ladies of gorgeous, wrestling. Yeah. 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 But even like, you know, people that were flirting with, with homosexuality, they would be mm. the bad guy. Uh, you get what I'm saying? Yes. So, yeah, yeah. and now you got black world champions. It's like, it's a whole different, thing which is so beautiful to see and as a wrestling fan since the early 80s and watching these things happen and you're just going fuck the shit i've been talking about and trying to put in music and whatever you know you feel kind of part of it because we were writing songs about anti-racism and unity and togetherness and anti-sexist stuff anti-fascist stuff you know even though we are living in dystopia, it's here, ladies and gentlemen, we were still, and I'm not, you know, trying to take a side here. I'm just saying it is what it is, which was also something we've been talking about in our music for 40 years, but like, we're all, we're seeing these other things happen as well. And it's like, it's kind of beautiful to watch, especially in that um, forum. Uh, quickly, I, I, we were going solo. Did, go. you watch, did you watch Squid Game? Fuck yeah, I watched Squid Game. Did you like it? Loved it. Okay, good. It was awesome. Uh, do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? <laughs> you know what? I I do. And I will tell you something right now. That is one of the funniest motherfuckers. It's next level, the comedy. You know what I mean? And it's so funny because like comedy is such, is one of those things now where a lot of this political information that seems like more in the middle. Yeah. You know, because everything is so fucking polarized. It's either over here. If you wear a mask, then, you know, you're, you're a fucking commie hippie. And if you don't wear a mask, you voted for Trump and you, you're you a Nazi. But like these, uh, these comedians come in and like Dave Chappelle, Larry David, I only wish Robin Williams was here. Uh. But like, and you see these guys coming in and calling this shit out like a comic should, Bill Maher. Um, you know, I mean, there's a few more that I can I can mention, but I won't save time. But they're really being the ones that are kind of like, yo, people, remember this? Remember right. we're all this? Yeah. You know what I mean? They're yeah. saying it in their certain ways, but they're they're doing a good job, I think, by provoking people enough for them to think. Because I think a lot of hardlining um hardliners i don't think there's really when you when you have hardliners over here and hardliners over here there's nobody in the middle and then the middle just closes off and they don't say anything anymore so you're not going to get understanding of this opinion or this opinion or whatever you know and it all becomes divisiveness 
Yeah. Gods and Guns says it talks about that. So November uh, 26th to victory. Plus, there's going to be three more EPs after that. We will yeah. find and watch and go see Lars Fredrickson on the road, an intimate night, an intimate affair, storytelling and music. I cannot thank you enough for spending so much time with me and kudos to you on a career that you built, maintain, and even in 2021, as we move on, it's getting bigger and bigger. And you guys have been a very, you personally and the bands have been so important to so many people uh, around the world for uh, 25, 30 years. So thank you. Well, thank you, man. I mean, Rancid is bigger than all of us and we know that it's, it's yours now, you know what I mean? So, and thank you for the love and support and all of the, you know, everything, you know, I mean, we, we couldn't have done it without a crowd and we couldn't have done it without people who wanted to come see us. So for that, I'm internally grateful. Awesome. All right, Lars, have a great one, man. Thank you Thanks, again. Buddy. All right. I'll see you soon. Okay. See you. Bye. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. That's it. We're done. Another episode comes to a close. That's Lars Fredrickson, everybody. Unbelievable. Go check out his new project, To Victory. Also, if you're listening to this, the YouTube channel is Tuna on Toast with Striker. Also, I'm so easy to find on Instagram. This is a one-man operation. I uh, attempt to respond to everyone if you send me a message. Ted Striker on Instagram, Tuna on Toast Instagram. And again, if you have... 55 seconds please give me a rating a great rating and write a friendly review it really means a lot all right have a great rest of your day a great rest of your night we will see you on the next episode i'm ted striker happy snuggles bye bye